Hey y'all, welcome to Couture Conversations Podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Steele. I am elated today because we have a very special guest, Dr. Ani Rustamayan, on the podcast. I was so excited to have a conversation with her because what she's going to be discussing with us today is something very different, but a very necessary couture conversation. All the things that she has built up for her business, for her own legacy is going to be bestowed on us today in regards to what we can do as founders within our own power to make sure that we keep up on the wellness journey. I can speak from my own experience how important it is to stay healthy and to keep wellness at the forefront of my daily life. And Dr. Ani has been exceptional in this space. And so without further ado, welcome Dr. Ani to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Olivia. Thanks for, for the invitation. Blessed to be here in your community. And um, I can't thank you enough for the invitation. I would love for you to just give everyone an overview of what I have just learned about what you, where you started and what you're doing now. I, we would love to hear all about it. Oh, absolutely. With pleasure. So my background is in clinical pharmacy. I have worked in traditional healthcare for more than 12 years. Uh, a pharmacist, you know, um, patient care advocate, a, a pharmacist who managed chronic disease for years and years and years. Most of my patients were patients with type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, obesity. And I would notice that years and years of this consulting and disease management, uh, most of my conversations were revolving around um, no medicines, right? So yes, we would go through, you know, medication adjustment and a lot of med- medication consultations. But 90% of my time I would spend with my patients was about lifestyle. Um, how do you change your approach to food? How do you approach food as um, not a source of uh, pleasure or guilty, you know, some sort of like snacks that you feel guilty about? But how do you approach food as medicine? And I realized that this is a mission that's brewing in my heart. I have to listen to those cues that my, even like my patients were giving me those signals that something's happening in my life. You know, I'm stressed, I'm overeating and my blood sugar is going up. So um, during COVID, I was put into this, you know, situation where I was a frontline worker and um, I had to do telemedicine, telehealth. And a lot of my patients fell apart and we all did, right? Our health and our wellness really took that, you know, downturn. Um, I went into um, into burnout mode of like surviving and surviving. So years go by, two, two and a half years, the third year is rolling out. I noticed that I was not practicing what I was preaching. I was that burnt out mom uh, in a survival mode, working this like long shifts and doing nothing for my mind, body and soul. I changed that uh, one day when I was... I woke up one day, it was Monday morning, and I was dreading my week. And I was 
thinking to myself, is this a life I designed for myself? Is this what I want to live like 20, 25 more years of this? Is this what my mission is in healthcare to give people of, of this type of me, a healthcare worker who's burnt out herself? So that day I decided to make that, you know, drastic change. And I said, I want to help people to use food as medicine and holistic modalities to get better. I don't want to give them more medications. They're, it's not making them healthier. So I founded my consulting company it was March of 2021. I had named it after myself to kind of remind me all the time that this is the reason you are the reason this is created. So it's Shiani Wellness. And I, well, every time I say the name of my consulting, I'm like, I'm so proud of you. You are that person who was in burnout. Now you're helping women, entrepreneurs, forward thinkers, and moms, and just in general, women who really want to get out of that, you know, the vicious cycle and just thrive instead of feeling, I'm just going to get by. I don't want anyone to get by that like nine to five and then just barely make it home and make dinner and feel like. I can't wait for Friday. Monday through Friday, survival mode is not what I was, you know, deserving, right? So that was the mission. And I'll get into more details on actually more on how I consult my patients. But the, the idea was born from me being in that situation. And once I recovered from it, and I always call myself a recovering, you know, burnout <laughs> survivor, um, I was able to tell women there's a way out. There are ways that you can design your life by what you imagine your day should look like, not what others or society or, you know, corporate is telling you what your day should look like. Absolutely. It's so beautiful that you use your own experience and your medical background to instill a practice that is so helpful across the board for, for women to, to truly embody that we can't do it all. And what are the signs and the key indicators of we're experiencing burnout? Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we are not, if our, I had this, um, this saying that an old manager told me years ago, if we don't have our health, we have nothing. And it's, it's really, I mean, obviously you'll have more than just nothing, but truly you're not able to operate at your highest. You are not doing your best work and truly you're doing yourself a disservice because you're just a hamster on a wheel trying to go, 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 waking up every morning, kind of dreading what you're doing. And if you are the one that's creating your career, you're the one that's creating your life to dread something that you're doing every day. Oh my gosh, that would be a huge red flag, but I'm sure that there are other, you know, indications that can actually indicate that are not so glaringly obvious. Would you be willing to just share a little bit of tips about what those look like? Absolutely. With pleasure. I also want to tell you that now that I am out of that um, survival mode, when I look at women, right, when I talk to my clients or friends, colleagues, family members, I see signs. I see signs of burnout in them. Some of them would be, it's interesting that burnout shows up differently in your body. First, it doesn't even seem like you're burned out. You're wanting to work more. You're proud of yourself not sleeping 
seven, eight hours. For women, especially, sleep is the number one health habit I always talk about. And we need more sleep compared to men. Women need more sleep. So not sleeping enough and running uh, on that survival mode and being proud of it. So overworking and being proud of it and priding yourself that, hey, I slept four or five hours today, but look at me. Look how energetic I am. I'm so proud of myself. I would hear, I would overhear conversations at work. Uh, my colleagues would talk uh, amongst each other. I slept six hours. The other one would be like, girl, I would like, what do you mean six hours? I slept four hours. Like priding yourself with Un, unhealthy habits. That's the number one sign. You're you're lying to your body and you're not listening to those cues of, um, what do you mean I slept for hours? Where are you getting those reserves from? Wow. And physical signs appear um, way before than, you know, mental signs. And um, just to listen to those signs. And actually, when I talk uh, more on burnout through my conversations with women, uh, we talk about more prevention, how to not get there, how to not get to the state where you sleep four or five hours and you're running on those, you know, survival, you know, stress mediated actions during the day because your body is like, yes, I will compensate you for a little bit of time, but my resources are not endless. When your body is giving you those signs, the best self-respect is to listen and say, uh, this can wait. Uh, everything can wait. I need to get my seven, eight hours of sleep minimum. How am I going to serve my family, my work, my children, my parents, if I'm relying on uh, caffeine and sugar to survive during the day? That was me. That was me relying on that cup of coffee to open my eyes and go and help hundreds of people a day with this type of untaken care of body, mind, and soul, what was I giving to my patients? And I realized that, uh, I don't want to say it, but am I being truthful to them? And I'm teaching them health habits. I'm teaching them how to take care of themselves. And I am in this shape. So that was um, one of the triggers, you know, the physical signs started showing up that I, I would dread my work. I would dread, you know, living in LA area, the traffic is like a daily conversation for us, but I would be stuck in traffic um, 40, 45 minutes an hour every morning, but I would be like, I'm not noticing this. I mean, almost like so much of this automatic, you know, some sort of like subconsciously driving to work. This was not good for me. That's when I decided that, okay, signs are showing up and mental, mental um, signs are being very cynical to situations, being so um, withdrawn from your daily tasks and not enjoying the time with family and dreading those, you know, after school activities. I was thinking, I don't want to go to this, you know, basketball practice. I'm tired. But does your child really deserve that mom who doesn't want to be present fully after work? So science could show up in different ways, but overworking and very much like trying to run and being smarter than your body. That's another thing. We think we're smarter than our body. We can trick it. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's really amazing to hear, first and foremost, that beauty rest is not a myth. It's indeed factual. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I have always loved a proper night's sleep. And when you wake up in the morning, you feel refreshed. Absolutely. Especially for female, um, females, uh, most of the hormone production um, occurs at night. 
Mm-hmm. And most of the recharge, all the R's, recharge, restore, rest, everything happens at night when parasympathetic nervous system is activated, when you have to regain that, um, you know, energy and every the balance back to start your day in the sympathetic tone, right? Sympathetic nervous system is, you know, fight or flight. I, I, I've got this. I've got this. I'm, I'm going strong. My cortisol is produced in the morning. I'm ready to just, you know, conquer the world. But when do I give my body to get that energy when I have four hours of sleep? And who do I rely on? This is the thing that I really want to make sure. So, uh, you know, self, self-care. Yes, we speak about self-care, self-respect, self-love. But almost all the time, not listening to those cues that your body is sending you and relying on that survival is the worst. It's a disservice to not only yourself, but to those around you. You know, that's the thing. Don't be selfish wanting to um, have more care for yourself. You're doing this for others. You know, remember the airplane that you have to put your mask first. I always talk about that and people don't really understand why am I saying this? Like, how are you going to be showing up for your mom who needs you, for your parents, your friends, your husband, your kids, um, when you're in this, like, I can't do this anymore mode. And nine out of 10 women nowadays, when I speak to them, regardless of their profession, healthcare teachers, everyone is in that, you know what, I'm just going to take one day at a time. We don't want that. We want to have that brilliant uh, visual of like resilient and healthy and happy life that you want to envision for yourself for 2023. You deserve that. It's so common for us to say, I'm just taking it one day at a time. I just need to get through today to get to tomorrow. You know, you get home, you make dinner for your family, and then you're burned out and you say to yourself, I just want to sit on this couch and do nothing and talk to no one. It's such a normal cycle that it's hard to stop yourself and get going. If you were to give, you know, one or two hot tips to someone who's feeling these things, what are, you know, what are things that you would recommend to say, okay, how do I stop this cycle? And what's something that I can do today to kind of switch my mindset on this? Oh, that's a wonderful question. You know, number one thing, the way you pay your bills, you're on time, right? The way you are very much on time with your finances, your kids' activities, that's how mindful and attentive you have to be to your body's signs that are showing up in many, many ways, right? Sit for a minute, write down, and I call it worry journal. Okay, let's write down what worries us, what bothers us. Let's write it down. Let's dump it on the paper and see... I'm worried about tomorrow. I don't want to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, but I have to. Um, I'm worried about like getting by, getting by this, you know, uh, the cycle. And I'm very scared of the unknown. A lot of women think it's unknown. What's going to happen if I make those changes? Number one thing is self-awareness. Where am I? Am I just being or am I being my best? How am I raising my uh, awareness around this? And it all it's not who you are, your circumstances, I always say not who you are. You truly don't know how magical you are as a woman, as a divine, divine creature and being by being resilient and brilliant, how many more people you can help. So write it down and be mindful about the signs and revolve in circles of women and people in general who really are living that life. I think that's number one thing. And if you're revolving around people who are 
as burned out as you, and you guys are just doing all those pity parties together, then I slept four hours, the other one slept five hours, the other one has so many things that are undone, and priding themselves. Those are not circles you want to be you know, revolving around. Slow down. Slow down. Write it down. Write down your goals. How do you see yourself in a month? And don't even do long-term goals. Let's have a month-long uh 30-day goals. Where do I see myself? There has to be some major, major reason for you to make that change. And how about you make yourself that reason? So it all starts with not like, oh, I'm going to start exercising on Monday. I'm going to eat less sugar on starting Monday. It's about how much, how am I going to change my mind on Monday? How about I approach this differently? How about I schedule sleep time and stick to it? Because your brain really takes about four to six weeks to create those habits as their own. So it doesn't just happen overnight, but being very intentional. What am I imagining for my life in 20 years from today? Um, In believing that that change is absolutely possible for you. A lot of people I speak to, they're in this mindset um, that this is possible for my friend, but not for me. No, it's not possible for me. And that makes me wonder, and I always dig into this, you know, thought-provoking, uh, with thought-provoking questions. Why do you think it's not possible for you? Why not? So number one thing is awareness. And it's a lot of times burnout is a stigma that no one wants to acknowledge. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm No, 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 no. I'm fine. I'm not in burnout. I'm just a little tired. Awareness. And there's nothing to be shameful to say that, you know what? I have no resources. I got to do something about it. That's bravery. And then when you say that, you're going to find answers. Absolutely. Focusing on solutions more and then first understanding, hey, I have a problem. There, there has to be some solution to it. But because we're smart, right? We all are intelligent beings. There's no way that you don't know that you're not in burnout. <laughs> it's so true. And I think it's there's this phrase that I love, the blind leading the blind. And it's almost like the blind leading the blind and burnout, where it's like when you're surrounding yourself in an environment that people are bragging about getting low amounts of sleep, about the amount of hours that they're working, this, that, and the other thing, it's taking a look at what your surroundings are. I love that advice because it's so true. If you're looking across the table and you're looking at your coworkers and they're like, thinking that they're so commendable for not taking care of themselves and you want to take care of yourself, maybe stop having conversations with those individuals within your workplace and find people that are more like-minded to wanting to live a healthier lifestyle. I mean, I can speak from my own personal experience when I was working in the fashion industry when you're having to wake up at five in the morning, commute and be there by, you know, 6.30, 6.45 with everyone's coffee orders. And when you are in a position of higher ranking, it's then, okay, well, I need to be there at 7 a.m. And I need to show my team that I'm going to work the longest and the hardest because of setting that expectation. Cultural norms of variety of European or Middle Eastern countries uh, it's very different here in the United States, the cult, the grind culture and um, wanting to overwork and overachieve to, just to show that we're, hey, we're high achievers. We can get this done. 
and proving ourselves the wrong, 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 wrong theories all day long that not resting is the way to go. If you look at Europe, I have my, my other sister lives in France and she's telling me the cultural norms and we always laugh about it, how much different we are in both you know, continents. She says that Sundays are sacred. In France, Sundays, people don't do anything, no activities on Sunday and they honor their body. They rest to their fullest. Um, that's not that they're lazy and they don't like working, but how about we look at our um, cultural norms of especially women who are in workforce. I always tell my clients, we're almost are obligated to work as we don't have children and raise children as we don't have jobs. So in both situations, we're expected to, to perform our, our highest, but is there anyone in your surroundings that has been driving by doing it? You will not find a single woman who has been the, her best in both. And whoever is in her best in both and showing it like hyperachiever mode, uh, that's not the true happiness they have. Women understanding that there's no winning. No one's winning in this situation. Your children are not winning, your family, and you're not winning by, you know, making decisions for 100 people and, and leading teams while you need help, number one. So those are the wrong, I would say, um, dreams we're chasing. We need to slow down. We need to slow down to speed up. We need to slow down. We need to be mindful of how about we change those norms? And I think the last two or three years, we see generational um, approach changes and Gen Zers are really not after this. And a lot of millennials are in burnout because millennials were told that this is an overachieving state. You have to be that to achieve. Gen Z doesn't care about money, about income. It's about purpose. It's about how much purpose and what is my job going to give me? It's not about how much I'm going to make. If they're not happy, they will leave. I had so many younger generation coworkers who left during COVID because that was not their purpose. We need to acknowledge that sometimes they may be even smarter than us following that purpose and not I'm going to retire in 25 years, then I will travel. I will do this. I will do that when I retire. And understanding that most of your success in your work, in your personal life and business is you. You are the face of it. You, If you're in burnout mode and you're surviving and you want to make seven figures that year, it's not happening. It's not happening. So just kind of maybe reevaluating those norms we have, but it, it has to be a ripple effect. We have to empower, like one person can empower thousand other women who will empower their friends, family. So joining efforts. And as you mentioned, and we talked more about revolving in circles who support your vision. That was my biggest dilemma every morning. I would go to work and I would see most of my coworker, female coworkers, in this, this negative thing. And I would be the one who would give them this positivity, you know, help, cheering them. And people think that your life is perfect. And they think that, Oh, I hope you're in that positive mood, but no one knew that what I was going through. I was also self-coaching myself when helping others. So revolve in circles that support you. And then there's no guilt or shame of taking care of your body, picking and choosing what serves you and what doesn't serve you. If this circle of friends is not serving me to be my very best and healthiest, make that choice. You know, you will show them with your behavior and your actions that actually, you know what? I'm honoring my body today. I'm not going to show up for this nine o'clock event. 
I have to go to sleep at 9 p.m. So this is my routine now. So teach them that. <laughs> it's honoring your your body and honoring your mind and what you truly need. And you said so many amazing key points. And I think something that I would love to even continue the conversation in another episode is about how we have learned from the mistakes of our past generations. So it's interesting how it's kind of trickled down to Gen Z. And I agree with you. They have a really beautiful and unique viewpoint because most of their grandparents are baby boomers. Their parents are Gen X. Then they see millennials. And now it's their opportunity. So when you're looking at, I always, I'm such a visual person, when I'm looking at a funnel and they see, you know, grind, 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 ask no questions, baby boomers. That's who raised Gen X. And, you know, you keep your head down and you work, work, work. And you, you know, the millennials, we saw our siblings or parents as those grinders. And so we said to ourselves, okay, this is what it's going to take to achieve greatness in this world. So we also need to grind and really get things going. And I think you said the grind mentality. And there is so much truth to that because on the other side of things, mental stability in regards to mental health, uh, seeing a front row seat of people um, really suffering in silence where they see that their lives are so perfect. As you said, you know, your friends were like, oh, her life is so perfect. What could possibly, what could she, what could she possibly so be upset about? She's so positive and upbeat. And it's usually the people who are cheering on and coaching others to do this are the ones that may be suffering in silence themselves. So with the generational viewings and then the grinder mentality, it's of no coincidence that my generation, I'm part of an older, old, the older millennial generation, um, and the older, the older millennials. <laughs> shout, shout out to those! But we, but we are in a situation where we have to honor the Gen Z viewpoint, and it's almost like I'm learning from my nieces and nephews who are Gen Z, who are have this new mentality of quality of life and purpose. Because isn't that what life is all about? Is having feeling purpose. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And you're absolutely right. And I listen to them. I learn from them. What is uh, what is the purpose of my job here? And we don't want to call them lazy or not driven because they don't want to see a purpose in something that truly we're pretending to see, right? They're like, this is not my calling. I'm going to go maybe do things differently and maybe create disruption in industry and show others that, hey, this is possible. But we always need, I always tell my, my kids are teenagers. I always tell them, hey, we all need all the professions that are out there. And no one said that working nine to five is wrong. Uh, and if you are a true believer that you belong to that lifestyle and you belong to the corporate culture, and it's absolutely fantastic to work for bigger cause and work in a group environment, that's that's phenomenal if you love it. But also, Let's encourage to actually creating your own what you feel like that needs the societal shift and create it and don't feel guilty for it. A lot of entrepreneurs are uh, facing not only challenges of their own you know, business ventures, but also the guilt of leaving the uh, corporate nine to five and creating their own. And they're feeling like I'm in the sandwich situation where I'm blamed by corporate that you left 
and also by others that, hey, let's see how you're going to make it. And a lot of my coworkers, when I moved from traditional healthcare to this, you know, health consulting and being my own boss, and I felt that, not that I was hearing it in their, you know, speech or just, you know, speaking to them, but they, I felt that, hey, you're leaving this, huh? Let's see how you're going to make it on your own. But when your passion is bigger than your fears, when you truly believe that, in my instance, I'm a true believer. I've graduated two pharmacy schools and numerous, numerous years in traditional healthcare. I am a strong believer that medications are not the only choice. And I preach that all day. Yes, they're one of the um, one of the choices, right? One of one of the choices. When uh, our country's healthcare is so well designed in acute care, if you have an acute health situation, heart-related, infectious, viral infections, and we can save your life. And I've seen this. We can save your life in 90 seconds. We have an, an amazingly perfectly tailored acute emergency care compared to other countries. But with chronic care, when people are suffering from an uh, food-related chronic illnesses where type 2 diabetes is totally preventable. And a lot of those situations are preventable. Why are we throwing medications our number one option to them? So that was my disalignment with the, the workplace, the system I was in. My point was, why are we not giving them that power? Hey, you are able to change things around. Let's talk about your diet, lifestyle, stress. What's happening in your family? It's not, our healthcare system is not designed to spend 45 minutes with a patient to understand what the true root cause of that situation is. And giving them choice and options, hey, absolutely, you do your annual checks with your physician, your blood work, but there are other tools. And when I talk about non-medicinal modalities, as a pharmacist who's practicing, you know, has practiced so many years in that, I sound like, um, some people may say, well, you went to all these years of practice to preach that. And I say, this is the reason I'm telling you, because I've seen the other side where my, most of my patients are 20 plus medicines. This is unimaginable for me. Why are we throwing this on a plate and say, Hey, I'll see you in six months. How about their cooking skills? People need to cook at home. How about what's in your pantries and your fridge? Where do you shop? What do you buy? So all these things came together and became my who. <laughs> who am I? Who? Uh, what do I stand for? When I teach those things in my group and I feel more empowered because I followed something that I would be scared to follow five years ago. Now, five years ago, me was a pharmacist who was working 13-hour shifts with no lunch, no breaks, relying on my Maybe I was younger then, yes, relying on that body's ability to re, you know recuperate during the night, cheating on those biochemical you know mechanisms of like how do I regenerate and where's this energy coming from? That wasn't going to last any longer. So now I go back and I'm like, and I think I'm thankful for those years because now I know what not to do and what not to preach. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so true. It's actually an internal company joke that about six months ago, finally, I, I, nip, I nipped it in the bud, I cut it out, but I would forget to eat during the day, completely and totally. 
I would come into the office. I would have my I would have my cup of coffee on the way in. I would sit down at my desk and I'd be like, "Oh, it's eleven. All right, I'll go a couple more, a little while longer, and I'll stop for lunch." Well, then it became two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and I was like, "Wow, I'm really, really hungry. I should probably eat something." And I eat like a snack. Then I get home and I am totally depleted. I'm starving, and I eat, and it's it became such an unhealthy cycle. And it's because I was not focusing on my health. I was just focusing on the work that needed to be done. And my health took a very big toll. I was burned out 100%. My coworkers, they still remind me, have you eaten lunch today? Did you did you eat lunch today? Because in my company culture, it's not like that at all. But it was self inflicted completely self-inflicted from the pressures of, of maybe what I felt that I needed to achieve by a certain amount of time. I have one more um, question for you because you've been so unbelievably generous with time and information share, you know, and I'm curious to hear your take on this. My, my finding is, is that when people are burned out and they don't know it, or they're trying to figure out if they are burned out, my root cause was because I was trying to achieve something in a specific amount of time that, you know, was unrealistic because things will happen when they happen, not when you force them to happen. Right. So in your experience, in your medical advice, what do you see as the root reason, the root cause as to why people feel this pressure to do to get themselves into a place of, of burnout. Olivia, that's a fantastic question because I could speak, you know, hours about this, but in short, we're given a narrative in our lives that this is how it should be. This is your high school. This is your college, your corporate job, stick to that for 25 years and retire and whatever money you have accumulated Luckily, if you're lucky, it will be market in a high state and you can make more money. But if market is low and you retire, um, you're sorry, <laughs> you're going to have what you have. So that's narr- that's a narrative that we're told since we're in kindergarten. And this is uh, a very like a culture specific, country specific narrative, because in uh, other societies, it's, it's absolutely a totally different narrative, but which we are also should be thankful for many things we have here, right? Like certainties we have in our country, but there are many things we should speak about. So we're told this, that this is a typical American. You have to have all this in place and then just, just, just stick to that job for however long you can, 20, 25, whatever years. And then, uh, but, but that narr- narrative doesn't serve our body's um, needs to heal. And women are expected to return back to work when they have a newborn at 12 weeks, when their body is just starting to come back from that stress. You're not expected to talk about your family at work. This is not a situation where you can say, my son is sick, I have to go. And then you're shamed for being uh, taking even a day off. So those narratives are given to us as truth. And we stick to it. And we, if we do differently, if we honor our lunchtime and say, this is my time to have my 30 minutes of quiet, I will be back. I was shamed for like, oh, this pharmacist actually is taking lunch. What is, what do you mean you take lunch? You have to eat and you have to use restroom. So <laughs> we're told that you have to eat in your car. 80% of Americans eat that in their cars. And you're not mindful about that. When you eat, you have to be mindful about the food you're consuming because that food is healing you. 
80% of Americans are eating while driving. Highly dangerous activity and you're eating. Uh, look at what other countries are doing. They're closing their work and they're taking an hour lunch, focusing on the food and nourishing their bodies. And then their bodies are thanking them in return, saying, thank you for listening to me and giving me the you know, nourishment I deserved. And I'm going to give you back longer years, longevity. Their other countries don't have chronic disease rates. I have I had 16, 17 year old patients with type two diabetes. The family, the entire family, is diabetic, and are, they're they're just kind of like okay with having it. When we at some point in our life understand that you what you put in is what you get back, is when that shift is happening. Okay, so if I take my thirty minutes of designated lunch and I don't do anything work related. Most corporate women even eat at their desks, right? I was eating in, in the break room and then like 10 minutes, you know, I took 10 minutes lunch instead of 30 minutes. Let's be proud of you know ourselves like, oh, we're so quick in resting and regenerating. So whenever that mindset shift happens and you realize that by doing this, I'm serving no one, it's almost a programming that's given to us and that's given to us as truth. This is your truth. You have to live by it. So the moment you understand that your body is going to give you back whatever you give it, gave it to <laughs> your body, then you're going to actually believe in that you can't cheat that system. This is a very intricate design system that's so smart, so much smarter than us. It needs the rest, restoring and regenerating and honoring your thoughts. If you have anxious thoughts, and a lot of times we talk about that, honor them. The ratio of negative to positive thoughts in our uh, daily routine is three to one. We get every positive thoughts is uh, is accompanied with three negatives. We get more negative uh, information during the day than positive. So how do we fight that? How do we transform that to, I'll think about this later. Yes, there are problems we have to resolve, but let me have my 30 minute uninterrupted, no phone calls, no messages. This is my time for myself. The moment we change that, um, I am more than sure, and I see already people making that major shift in their life that I will see that everyone's honoring my time too. They're not going to bother me for that 30-minute break because I'm. it's my time. They will Anything that can be addressed later will be addressed. So it's us. It's really, truly honoring what you need. And our body, as you said, it's so beautifully. Our bodies are smarter than us. They kn It knows what it needs. It knows the nourishment. It knows the rest. It knows the relaxation. It knows all, all of these things. And you said earlier in this episode about how different countries operate so much differently than Americans do. And they are not lazy whatsoever. I've, I've worked in Italy and in France. They're not lazy whatsoever, but they do honor their bodies and they listen to their bodies way more than we listen to ours. If we have a headache in the middle of the day, I'll have a cup of coffee and some ibuprofen to eradicate it. In Europe, they would say to me, oh, go home, take a nap. And if you are feeling better, come back. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like, you have to listen to your body. And so I think that's the biggest takeaway is that our bodies are smarter than us. And we have to honor them. Because if we don't, then the root cause of all these things, it can be circled back to that. 
And it's how are you taking care of yourself? Are you taking the breaks that your body needs? Are you honoring the rest that your body needs? Are you making sure that your routines are honoring your time? And in response, everyone else will also honor your time. I think that's so beautifully and eloquently put. It could not be more of a couture conversation. Dr. Ani, truly, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom that you have bestowed on us today. 